Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. From Providence, Rhode Island, welcome to the Mary's Book Club inaugural episode, Tackling Bridgerton's The Duke and I. So grab your copy, make sure you got your latest Audible download, and let's dive in. Hello, hello everybody. I am so excited and up wee bit nervous. I would be completely lying if I was like, oh, I'm totally cool doing this. This is my first book club episode for our friends and members at jointhenerdclan.com. My husband, Blake, he's been doing a book club for quite some time now. He's tackling the Outlander series and he's, you know, going through Voyager. He's he's on a journey through Voyager right now. And um, I've never done a podcast kind of version of a book club. I have participated in book clubs in real life before. I have talked about books with friends and family and loved ones, but I've never done a podcast version of a book club by myself. (laughs) This is all new. This is a whole new world. Um, I've only been podcasting, you know, with my husband, Blake. We're tackling, of course, the Potter series, the Harry Potter series. So that's kind of like a book club, but this is just different. And I'm really, really excited because one of the things that I told my husband, Blake, when we decided to get this going as a perk for our friends at jointhenerdclan.com who make everything we do possible. so thank you all so much. As I said, I want to have my friends' voices be heard. You know, I want to make sure that you are a part of this. You are taking the time to read it. You are taking the time to listen to my thoughts. And albeit I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to shed much light on this book, but I think that the fact that we can be doing this together, especially in the here and now, with all the stuff going on in the world and just the distance that we have physically away from each other, you know, but like we can't physically get together right now, many of us, for book clubs. So to be able to still have this kind of virtually and to be able to read your comments and to be able to see you talk one, you know, with one another over at patreon.com, it just warms my heart so much. So let's get into the show. Bridgerton, The Duke and I, by Julia Quinn. Not starting with chapter one, as I said I was going to, but we're actually starting with a prologue. I didn't know there was a prologue in this book, so you guys are getting an extra extra little added bit. The birth of Simon Arthur Henry Fitzranolf Bassett, Earl of Cliveden, was met with great celebration. Church bells rang for hours. Champagne flowed freely through the gargantuan castle that the newborn would call home, and the entire village of Cliveden quit work to partake of the feast and holiday ordered by the young Earl's father. This, said the baker to the blacksmith, is no ordinary baby. He sure isn't. Now, 
for those of you who haven't known, Blake and I did an entire podcast about the Netflix series Bridgerton that has just gone super viral. So glad we were able to participate in that. And that being said, I've watched the entire show and it is going to be in my brain. The characters are going to look like the characters that I saw on the show. The places are going to look like that. And I am going to be noting some differences. And that's going to be something that I look forward to as you, uh, the listeners of this podcast, for you to also point out similarities and differences between the show and the book. Blake and many of you know our stance at Mary and Blake Media. The book is the book. The show is the show. But that doesn't mean we can't call things out, right? And I'm going to call this out right now. The fact that we start this book with the prologue, knowing where Simon came from, what hap- what the relationship was like between he and his father, if you even want to call it a relationship, but it was just a bad one. Uh, the whole way that Simon was brought into the world, how really his mother's sole purpose was to give the Duke of Hastings an heir. To start this book this way is really interesting. We started, obviously, the show Bridgerton differently. Episode one did not have necessarily this aspect of Simon's upbringing. We actually started episode two of the show this way, with the birthing scene, with the the stuttering and seeing young Simon be raised. And fun fact, I know we mentioned it in our podcast, but I wanted to bring it up here. Blake and I actually started watching Bridgerton accidentally on episode two. On essentially this prologue, we started, you know, and it's dark and and blues and, you know, very little light either in, in the show or levity in the material itself. So for me to actually be reading this prologue, starting with Simon's birth, starting with seeing how passionately his father was about having an heir is how I started the Bridgerton television series as well. And I remember looking at Blake and I was like, oh my gosh, this show is wicked dark. Like, what is going on? Everyone was talking about how beautiful the costumes were and how it's just light and all the sex. And here we are, like, wanting to cry tears for this little little boy. Um, and then we found out after we watched pretty much the equivalent of this prologue on the show, we said, this can't be episode one. This cannot be. (laughs) They hook people into the show. It's brilliant, but like, you know, a Debbie Downer. So I enjoyed it, though, as the prologue of this book. I enjoyed getting to understand Simon a lot differently, understand his father even a little bit, Um, So, of course, his father and his mother were married for 15 years, and his dad is already several years past 40. Um, So that means, you know, he still married her a little kind of like on the older side from what we can gauge in this series and in the television shows. And it seems in in the show that the men could be, you know, past 20, past 25, and the girls really, it's like that ripe age of of older teens, you know, the 19 and 20, you want to be getting married at that point. So she had um, fifth, five pregnancies, twice she carried them to full term, both of these infants were stillborn. Um, And the physicians and surgeons really had to make sure that she understood how in danger this was for her. Side note, um, I've shared with many people on social media and in our podcast that Blake and I have just suffered a miscarriage. So I am thankful that I decided to read this book after Valentine's Day and as my body has been healing and not sooner, as this would have been very, very hard for us. This was our first miscarriage. And, um, you know, having gone through that kind of a loss and then reading this this paragraph it just hit me. I, you know, 
I'm doing very, I'm doing honestly very well emotionally, um, than much better than I thought I was going to be doing. It's not to say that this hasn't been hard. It has been hard, but now that I'm physically feeling better, I'm, I'm feeling emotionally and mentally a lot better and a lot clearer, but still knowing that this character went through all these pregnancies, had two at full term and they were stillborn. And to know that still six months after, you know, another loss that she had, she opened the connecting doors between the bedrooms, knowing what the Duke wanted, knowing that he wanted an heir. You know, later in the chapter, it talks about how they have this friendship. They're not, they were not in love, but they had an understanding for one another. And oh, it was five months later. Um, they had an understanding. And even when she passes, it says the Duke mourned his wife. He truly did. He hadn't loved her, of course, and she hadn't loved him, but they'd been friends in an oddly distant way. The Duke hadn't expected anything more from the marriage than a son and an heir, and in that regard, his wife had proven herself an exemplary spouse. He arranged for fresh flowers to be laid at the base of a funeral monument every week, no matter the season, and her portrait was moved from the sitting room in the hall to a position of great honor over the staircase. This paragraph is something that we did not necessarily get in the show. We didn't get this sense of the Duke mourning his wife, even appreciating his wife, you know? We just got the gimme an air, gimme an air, she's dead, oh well, too bad. And so I kind of liked this paragraph. It just fleshed him out a little bit. I think we needed him to be this dark, one-dimensional, selfish figure in the show. And I'm not saying that he isn't selfish in this chapter, but it just gave a little bit more of dimension to him to show that he appreciated and they had a a mutual understanding you know um the fact that he did make sure that there were fresh flowers every single week and then her portrait being moved it's interesting because in the show the duchess's portrait is in a um a well-viewed place you know we get to see Daphne walk past her and so it's just an interesting thing where I thought oh they might have done that on purpose because because of this prologue um, we go on back where the Duchess, of course, she's experiencing, she's having all these pains, you know, a month early, she could have still delivered. Obviously it's not necessarily the modern medicine. We want to keep that baby inside there as long as possible to cook. So they've got pillows tucked under her hips. And then the Duke goes in at night and sticks another pillow underneath there. And I laugh because in my pregnancies, I bought um, these pregnancy pillows, which I nicknamed my boyfriend. One of them was shaped like the letter L, and then another one was giant, and it was shaped like the letter U. And I would like snuggle it, and it would cuddle me, and I would shove it between my legs, and you know, balance all my knees. I am not a a still sleeper. You know, I move all the time, and especially when I was pregnant, flipping and flopping all over the place. And to think about this poor woman who had to be bedridden to keep this baby inside having to have all these pillows stuck up underneath her and then having more pillows shoved up all I was thinking about was acid reflux <laughs> like that's the last thing I want I want the pillows the other way this poor thing but she did she did her she did her best so the moment comes everyone's praying a few people are thinking about the duchess and I hated hated the sentence even if she did manage to deliver safely deliver a child it could be well a girl ah you know Thank goodness we're in 2021 because we need more women in power. We need more women respected. It's just so crazy how some societies really just diminished the the value of women 
goodness me. And then in other societies, we were viewed just as equal. So Perfect Little Son is born. We've got this gorgeous baby coming on up. He's so proud. Um, the Duchess, of course, sadly, at that time did pass away. Now the Duke has lots of friends, goes and boasts about his son, comes back at his second birthday, gives him a pony and a gun. Because that's what you give a two-year-old. <laughs> like, what in the world? But just goes to show you how vacant he's been from this kid's life. That he thinks, like, oh, this is a great gift. Like, a gun for when he wants to come fox hunting. Sounds great. The nurse, of course, tells him that's a terrible gift. Please. You can't even give this kid Legos at this age. And he can't speak. Um, so, my son... My son had a tough time speaking. So this this kind of like hit to me. I've got a friend whose daughter has a has a stutter as well and she's just shared with me and been very candid about everything that she's had to go through and how proud she is of her daughter and I, I pictured a daughter a lot when I was reading this this prologue just about how much effort it takes for her daughter to really think about speaking. And with our son when he was younger, as I said he wasn't speaking well and I had taught him baby sign language and all the books say all the books, all the experts, they say if you teach your kid baby sign language, it won't impede their speaking. I believe that, but I also believe that my son <laughs> just really liked to sign. And he could sign full sentences. I want grapes, please. Please give me more crackers. It was generally about food. I want to read the book about the bear. Like, literally, he could sign all of those things, and he couldn't speak. So we had to go through intervention. Um, it was a weird intervention because... Much like Simon, you know, people would come in and say, they would say, this boy is smart. He's smart. He knows how to communicate. He knows how to listen. He knows all these words. He knows how to sign all this stuff. And they told me, they said, we think because he took to sign language so well that it's like he was learning two languages at once. And sometimes when you have a child in a dual language household or, you know, like he's learning sign language as he's learning our spoken English, it's just taking him a little longer because it's so much that he's taking in. So, you know, I'm reading this. And, of course, during this time, they didn't have early intervention and all this stuff. And the nurse is doing her darndest. She's doing her best. And she tells him some children take longer than others. And he's clearly a bright boy. You know, now we know kids learn different things at different times. They they kind of focus on a certain strength at a, at a moment and, and then other times when they're working on one thing, maybe he's working on his letters, speech might go back. Sleep might change a little bit. It's it's really just been so eye-opening to be a parent in this age where they have been able to do so much work on children. It makes you wonder about, you know, obviously Simon's a fictional character, but how many kids were treated this way where, oh, you're dumb, you're stupid, you didn't do this when your brother did that, or the kid next door could speak, and now we just know so much better. So then the Duke goes and visits Simon at four years old. We could see that he can write, and yet Simon does not want to speak. And And the Duke is mad. This is when he's saying, you know, I'm going to hit you. He's gonna, he was going to grab this brush and was going to hit his little son. And finally Simon speaks, and the first thing he says is no. And how poignant is that? You know, like, what was your first word? Mom, dad? My dad's first word was cookie, which I think is hysterical. Um, you know, puppy, dog. Simon's first word that he spoke was no. Defiance and being stubborn and standing up to his father was his first word. 
We joke, of course, that kids like, oh, no, they learned the word no. Like, they won't stop saying it. No, no, no. You know, like, here, at peace. No. But, like, it's generally not a child's first word. But it was for Simon. And then after that, of course, he did have some issues stuttering. But he ended up trying. He ended up getting out. Don't hit me. Don't you hit me. And this is when the Duke says, I can't even look at him. I can't even better look at him. He is an idiot. And the nurse embraces him, Nurse Hopkins, saying, you're the smartest boy. And if anyone can learn to talk properly, I know it's you. And that's when Simon turns to her warm embrace and sobs. And when you think about a four-year-old being that traumatized, thinking he was going to be hit by his dad, being told he's an idiot, of course he'd be sobbing. I loved this nurse. We'll show him, meaning we'll show the Duke. He'll eat his words if it's the last thing we do. So time goes on, of course. And Simon, we get to see all this interest, like, all these intricate things that he does to help himself focus on his words to make sure he doesn't stutter. And as a person, like I've never had personal issues speaking. I've never had a stutter. Um, I mean, honestly, what happens to me is I get sweaty. Like when I'm nervous, I sweat. Um, So I've never had a problem speaking. I've never had a problem finding my words. I actually have the opposite. I talk too much. Henceforth, I'm a podcaster. So I loved how this book was able to just begin just in this prologue to explain to us how much effort it takes for him to focus on not stuttering and we learn how fo- how determined Simon is and that he's incredibly stubborn and of course we see that later on in his character so he decides he wants to go see his father they go on up it takes a day and a half to get there everyone tells them oh we thought you were dead <laughs> the butler was silent for a moment and then finally said his grace has not mentioned you in years The last I heard, he had said he had no son. He looked quite pained as he said it, so no one pursued the conversation, and we, the servants, that is, just assumed you'd passed on. Imagine that. Imagine, like, people just thinking you were dead because someone never brought you up again and said you're gone. Well, obviously, it upset the nurse and also Simon. And, um... (sighs) Simon finally can speak up to his dad because the nurse is mad. The Duke says, no one speaks to me that way. And then Simon says, not even the king. Like, he gives him that jab and he's proud of himself. He's so proud. Simon nods curtly. He managed one sentence properly, but it had been a short one and he didn't want to push his luck. Not that he was this upset. Not when he was this upset. Normally he could go days without a stutter, but now. I love that he was able to say that. I love that he was able to like put it out there like, oh, no one speaks to you, not even the king. Give that little sass. Tuck it in there. But of course, he has a tough time and his dad baits him. You know, what's the matter? Cat got your tongue? Simon's muscles clenched so hard, he started to shake. And then the father says, you are my worst failure. I don't know what I did to deserve you, but God help me if I ever lay eyes on you again. Simon finally is able to take deep breaths, his nose clamped in anger. He says, I am your son. And the nurse, of course, breathes relief. And he, for a moment, sees pride in his father's eyes right there. So Simon leans into this a little bit more. I am your son and I am not. And he can't do it. His throat closes up and he panics and he can't do it. And that's when the father, of course, tells him to go home, that there is no place for him here. Simon felt the Duke's reaction in his very bones, felt a peculiar kind of pain enter his body and creep 
around his heart, and as hatred flooded his body and poured from his eyes, he made a solemn vow. If he couldn't be the son his father wanted, then by God, he'd be the exact opposite. So <laughs> this right here, you know, you pick the book up. Uh, my copy, obviously, is, is you know, everyone has different copies right now, but it's got this gorgeous scene of, of grass and, you know, a beautiful home maybe in the distance and a gorgeous woman dressed in the, the time period clothing. And you start off with this prologue full of hatred and dismissal and um, a child being raised this way. It's, it's just a really interesting way to start a book when you pick it up and you think it's going to be this romance, you know, Regency, easygoing kind of thing. And we started this way. And I, I really, really loved the prologue being this way. So um, that's that's how I felt about the chapter. I don't necessarily know how I'm going to be running each of these episodes going forward, especially as we get into the chapters in regards to if I'm going to be having segments. But I just kind of, kind of wanted to walk you through how I felt in that chapter, things that stood out to me. And now, of course, it is time for your feedback. So those of you who took the time to write in at jointhenerdclan.com, I made a post about the prologue you put under your comments. I especially loved that you were commenting to each other's comments, which is super cool. Um, Amanda Smalley wrote in, interesting that five months after their encounter is when she is bedridden by the Duke, and yet he's also a spitting image of his father later in the prologue. I was thinking maybe his mother had an encounter with healthier sperm. So, hmm, nope, it's, it definitely sounds like it was the Duke's son. And as, you know, as it said in this chapter, you know, she kind of like knew her duty, like they had this mutual agreement. So, um, yeah, knowing that the Duke like looks just like his dad. Yes, it was definitely his father. Suzanne Moss wrote in saying, I loved seeing Simon's confrontation with his father from his perspective. I felt his grit and determination to get the words out and his anger at his father was very palpable. Even though his father was such a terrible man, I really liked how the author added a couple of small things that were in there, honoring his wife by moving her portrait, that small feeling of pride at his son speaking without the stutter, even though it was just a heartbeat. Suzanne says she enjoyed it. I completely agree. And here's something cool that I liked. Jessica wrote in saying, already the author seems to be pointing out how strong her women characters are. Nurse Hopkins is so interesting. She is strong and protective for Simon. I was actually surprised how she spoke to the Duke. I thought maybe she raised him too, but then the author mentioned she had never been before to Bassett House before. The Duchess also had been through so much, which is all mentioned in such a short amount of time. I feel like the author did a good job of showing how strong a woman she was, and it takes stubbornness and strength to go through everything she did. I think Simon is scared to see himself like his father when he actually may get his strength from his mother. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Um... You know, we do have another comment saying, I find it interesting that Simon doesn't ask about his mother during his childhood. The focus is solely on the father. You know, I bet he did. I bet he did. Years go by here, but his father is the one that is alive. You know, the father is the one where it's like, okay, I still have the opportunity to, opportunity to connect with you, to see you. So I would assume that he would ask a lot about his mother still. But um, what we get to see is that interaction. 
Caitlin Spencer wrote in saying that she found the prologue very difficult to get through. Hearing how the Duke felt about his wife and how she just accepted it was so sad. I tried to go back into the book knowing it won't be like the show, but I was disappointed Lady Danbury wasn't there at Simon's birth. Or to stand up to the Duke, but I was happy to see the nurse say what we were all thinking. You're despicable! I did like how Simon stood up to his father. The book is already setting up to show that he is a determined, stubborn character. So, I agree. Like, I'm ready for Lady Danbury. I don't know when she shows up. This is obviously a big difference between the show and the books. We didn't necessarily have this nurse figure here. So it'll be interesting to see how she is, how Lady Danbury is woven in. But I agree. You know, we've just got this jerk of a duke and you have these really, really strong women. Um, Nadger also says the prologue was extremely painful. For me, it was even more painful than the scenes we watched in the series. I had such a hard time dealing with how the Duke was so abusive to the child. I truly wanted that part to be over and done with. I hated the Duke in the series and hated him even more in the book. To end on a positive note, it was nice to read how Simon felt and how he built his strength to get through the abuse. I agree. I agree, Nadger. Like, it's... To read how he was, how he, how determined he was, and how he had to work through these, these speech impediments, and how the, how he had to physically take control of his body, was a really wonderful thing to see. Because I know in the show, adult Simon had a couple stuttering issues that I missed. They went right over my head. Even though we know that he has a stutter, they went over my head. Blake was the one that would point them out to me like, oh, look, you know, he's, he's being careful so he can't stutter. And I was like, I don't know. P- passed right over me. Um, Rebecca writes in saying their heart breaks for, for child Simon. Angela Hickey said that she's doing the audible version of this book and um, has only watched the show and has now read the prologue, so she's keeping in pace. Her anger renewed for Simon's father. It was a bit different than the show. First, it seems the father showed a smidge more regard for the mother than the show version after her death, and I agree with that. Angela says, I guess they exaggerated it in the show to get the father's personality across more impactfully. Second, does the nurse become Lady Danbury eventually, or did the show just create a completely new character here? It was such a great way to get the point of view from Simon dealing with his frustration, humiliation, and overcoming his speech impediment. Um, so I'm same thing. I'm right, right there with you, Angela, going one chapter at a time and seeing how this all goes. Um, one more piece that I wanted to read was by Sam Prince. Sam said, I find Simon's father an interesting character and wonder what happened to him as a child or adult to view his son as his property alone. You are mine, he says when he's born, and despite his fierce infatuation with an heir, he is readily dismissive of Simon despite the nurse telling him he's bright and his immediate judgment is that he's a moron. He seems singularly unable to see himself through anything other than pity. What have I done to deserve this, etc.? It seems very shallow and weak. He's quite a two-dimensional villain, really. He's just there to give Simon motivation. I guess we still live in a world where flaws are not readily shown. I like the way the Simon, the passion and fire of Simon is set up from the start. He's a character that has a struggle, not just some pretty rich boy. And I just loved this idea. Like what, you know, we can, we only get, we get what we get when it comes to these books, but when you are spending time delving into it and digesting it as you do with kind of a book club rather than just breezing through the pages super quickly it does it makes you sit down and you say what happened to the duke that made him this way like what in the world got him so like raveled up that he had to be so despicable to his son Jennifer Dominic says too she she wants to know more about Simon's mother and if we're going to get that from the book because she gives her life for the heir but there's um 
you know, this this part where we really don't get much for the Duchess. Like everyone's praying for the Duke, but very few give it to the Duchess. So, you know, what's what's going on to her? So we want to know a little bit more about the Duchess. And I will end this with Bethany Fowler, who said that she started reading this book in Julie Andrews' voice. <laughs> How many of you heard Lady Whistledown's voice as you began? And I know myself uh, definitely heard that as well. So thank you all so much. I don't get to read all of your comments, of course, but I'm so excited that uh, we've got so many great comments. Know that I'm reading them all. I love to see your interaction with them all. And we're going to, of course, keep them coming. So, of course, this podcast is special for those of you at jointhenerdclan.com, but that doesn't mean that you need to be quiet about it. If you're enjoying this sense of community, reading a book together, sharing your thoughts, hearing your thoughts possibly read aloud on the podcast, do me a favor screenshot your phone right now as long as you're safe you're not like driving or jogging on a treadmill screenshot it and put it up in your Facebook or Instagram stories let people know if you're on Instagram tag Mary and Blake Media say if you want to join in we're just getting started you know share it on your Facebook wall let your friends who've talked about Bridgerton with you know about this you you see the value in it and they may too they may have a blast rereading this book seeing it through different perspectives and through different people's eyes when it comes to podcasts sharing really is caring sharing and hearing about podcasts from your friends is the best way to get new ears and new people exposed to podcasts so thank you already if you have shared this with a friend we're excited to continue to delve deep into the Bridgerton series. It's just what we need nowadays. And um, thank you all. Thank you all so much for trusting me to take you along on this journey. As I said, I've never led a book club. And I think it's apropos that my first one is with you. (laughs) So thanks again, Mary Larson. You can find me online, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram just by searching Mary Larson. And I will talk with you all soon. Bye.